0: Welcome to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast, I'm Kate Moore Youssef your host and if you've arrived here there must be a reason. I'm guessing you're curious to learn more about improving your well-being alongside ADHD or maybe looking for some advice or guidance to feel healthier and calmer. So why start this podcast? I'm a well-being and lifestyle coach EFT practitioner, mum to four kids and I discovered my own ADHD alongside one of my daughters at the age of 40. And now after supporting many other women just like me and probably you, I feel there's a need for more emphasis on well-being and lifestyle help for women with ADHD. And through the podcast I want to offer you new insights and perspectives to enable you to live your most fulfilled, calm and balanced life. So wherever you are on your ADHD journey my aim is to support you in finding the awareness and the most aligned tools to enhance your well-being so you can make the most intentional mindset and lifestyle choices moving forwards. Ready to get started? Here's the episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. And uh, today's guest is Dr. Samantha Hugh. And she is the director of ADHD Girls, which I think just says it as it is. And this is a company with a dual mission to empower girls and women with ADHD to thrive in society and improve societal understanding of ADHD? And do we need it more than ever? So Sam, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. We've been waiting for a long time for this and <laughs> finally it's here. So I'm really glad that we managed to schedule our diaries and finally get here. So welcome.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for inviting me in the first place. You know, I remember that when I got your invitation, to be honest, I've been reading your blog even before my diagnosis. And I think some of the articles that you wrote really helped me. So, so interesting how things just kind of go around in the end, and then I get to meet you in person. I mean, not in person, but yeah, I I get to share a screen with you (laughs) and we get to have a chat.
0: Absolutely. I want to hear a little bit about your diagnosis story because what you've achieved in a short amount of time with ADHD girls is incredible, and the what you're trying to, I guess, take on is big. It's a really big mission that you've got. So tell me, how long has it been since your diagnosis, and and how did it come about? Yeah. So I got diagnosed formally in March 2021, but
1: I started looking into my diagnosis in September of 2020. Was really fascinated by this. Um, what do you call it? It's not a medical condition. It's not a psychiatric condition. I see it as a behavioral thing, I suppose. You know, when I think about ADHD, I think about someone being hyperactive. And I remember being that person as a child. And so I was really fascinated and came across someone on social media, actually, who talked about it and really did a deep dive and wanted to make a film about women with ADHD because I think I always needed to find a special interest. And later on, I found out I'm also autistic. And that's why i've needed to have something that i focus on and be passionate about otherwise i get depressed and so my diagnosis story is that i think i struggled a lot in my life and there are so many times where my adhd just caused me so much issues and challenges and it didn't work for me my life didn't work for me I told you I did a PhD in cancer research and for as long as my educational years were, I was so focused on being a cancer researcher because I've attached my mission to helping people. And it was to a level of obsession that my lecturers didn't understand why I was so fascinated by cancer. I should have really gone to neuroscience because I was also really fascinated by the brain, but then somehow cancer felt more relevant at the time because people around me were, dying because of cancer so I felt that it was an important topic so with ADHD is in that short time even before my diagnosis I started talking about it in fact I didn't do it voluntarily someone invited me for a LinkedIn live where a thousand people tuned in way before I even had a diagnosis and way before I knew enough I think although I was studying a lot of ADHD, you know, like most people do when they try to understand ADHD, they really hyper focus on the education, the psycho education. So yeah, so when I was asked my opinion on what I think people should do, you know, if if they have ADHD and I'm thinking, I haven't got a diagnosis yet. I felt like a real imposter. And straight after that, that LinkedIn live, a friend of mine got in touch and said, she's she's a psychologist student she told me that you know you shouldn't be talking about it at all because your phd wasn't in psychology or neuroscience and when i got that message i was really sad and in fact like my rsd kicked in and i thought i'm never ever going to say anything ever again you know even though i didn't voluntarily do that linkedin live i was invited to by somebody and and so I thought, yeah, not not ever gonna talk about anything again. But, you know, I had a day or two thinking about it. And in fact, you know, the RSD was probably, it probably lasted a good two, three weeks. And then at the end of it, I decided oh, screw that live experience is really important. If I can't go ahead and tell people about my story, why don't I tell other people about their story? You know, so because as you know, hearing from the source is more important than hearing from a, a psychiatrist tell you about ADHD. Because most of the time they don't know what it's like in the internal lives of women with ADHD. And, and so the more people I spoke to, the more I just felt like, wow, this is so interesting. And it was like a therapy for me. Everyone I spoke to just made me feel so validated and so happy. And at times I remember having these goosebumps, you know, speaking to them and then, yeah eventually it just kind of grew into this thing and I was telling a girl in my community recently that imagine naming your entire business because you know hmm. Instagram handle for ADHD women were taken, right <laughs> so ADHD girls was really a way for me to just do like some part-time posting on Instagram, but it kind of grew into this thing that I I just followed this obsession and it went from one thing to another. And I've always got this passion for, you know, how neurodiversity has really impacted my career because I have 16 work sectors. And so, yeah, I went into ADHD in the workplace topic and started doing more and more interviews. And um, and then I organized a conference by accident. (laughs) Happening in two weeks time. Yeah, a lot of the things I do, I almost let my emotions lead me. You yeah. know, and, and then it it yeah, one thing led to another. I
0: can't tell you the trajectory of how it happens, but you know it Yeah. Is. I listen, I, I feel like I'm nodding away because I understand and I feel like a lot of other women with ADHD definitely get this kind of like hyper focus, especially I think around the diagnosis. You know, I speak to a lot of women who get the diagnosis and they do hyper focus on all the research, want to know everything want to inhale every bit of information books. I did it. It literally, I mean, I'm still doing it because first of all, I, it's, I find it absolutely fascinating. It's definitely a passion of mine now because I can see how needed your services are. What I'm doing with the podcast is I know that people are needing this, but another arm to, I think an ADHD, you know, an ADHD trait is that we are very kind of giving, like we want to help. Um, I think being of service is really important. And what you said before about if you're not doing something that you're passionate about, you feel depressed. And I do see that sort of that pattern a lot. If we don't feel of use, if we're not being productive, if we don't feel like we're achieving something, it can lead quite quickly to sort of very low mood depression. Again, I 100% resonate with that. And so what you've, but what you've done, I think you've taken it to the next level. So you've, you got your diagnosis and then you, because of maybe because of your research background, your scientific interest, the fact that you've done a PhD in cancer research. I mean, you know, if you've done that, you can pretty much do anything. So you've now given this understanding of yourself, this awareness and understood how your neurodiversity has played out in your career. And you want to be able to help, other women in that situation. Tell me a little bit about your mission with ADHD Girls. Where did it start and where do you see it going? What's your dream with it? Yeah, so very quickly
1: after my diagnosis, I noticed that you know I really didn't have any help after my diagnosis, I kind of fell off a cliff and I resisted medication for at least six months because I was still breastfeeding. And so I was trying to do all these lifestyle things and you know, all these changes that I was like, trying to exercise more, I was trying to eat better. But then I just didn't have the executive functioning to carry on with that. So I slipped and then the situation that I was in didn't allow my autistic side to stay under control. So I was often very sensory overloaded. And so I didn't have the support and I just looked everywhere and I just felt completely alone. And I, you know, just thought that there needs to be some sort of service out there that helps people feel more together, you know, like they are part of like a group, you know, that's like them, you know, and that's basically why I created my community. And I have um, people in WhatsApp group now, you know, this is also completely free for anyone, women with ADHD to join. for them i think that's been more helpful than actually talking to their therapist but just having someone you could check with like almost ad hoc to kind of check with like oh is this kind of like normal it's invaluable to have that No, so what i want to do with adhd girls is really help people fulfill their potential and it's not just like just you know this drive to keep achieving it is the drive to create your own authentic life. Because for me, I was diagnosed at the age of 40. And I just felt like I didn't even realize that's midlife to most people. And when I realized that, you know, I I think I had a second round of grief cycle where I just kinda imagine, you know, that the 40 years of my life was spent jumping from one thing to another and not actually putting all the skills I have together and that led me into constant depression in the past even though from the outside it looked like i had everything you know i had children who were beautiful i have a husband and you know i have a career even though it was like a freelance career it was not like a corporate kind of climbing career but you know i had something but i always felt so unfulfilled because i couldn't follow through you know in everything i needed or everything i started because as soon as that challenge or the interest wanes you know then i just find a way to exit so i spoke to my coach recently that you know i have an exit strategy for most things because ultimately i think for an adhd you know who loves autonomy and freedom Mm -hmm. it's very difficult to work according to what other people think is important and i think you know that's why running your own business or creating your own venture is one of the better ways more suitable ways for ADHD if you could do that
0: yeah I wanted to just ask you about your autism diagnosis so when you did you have them together which one came first and we which one were you most surprised about right definitely surprised by the autism one because with ADHD I think you know
1: when you have ADHD it's it's like you know why do you just forget things sometimes why do you misplace things why is your room a mess it's like You'll be confused by it, but then you also wonder, you know, is there something behind it? But with the autism one, I didn't even have any idea, no inkling at all, because if you Google symptoms of autism, you don't get, you know, some of the symptoms that people are gonna get on an autistic spectrum. And the sensory overwhelm, I didn't know what that looked like. I just thought that maybe I'm just an angry person when I'm in a situation where it's like too hot or too smelly or too, you know, <laughs> people's touching me too much. You know that's why meltdown is often mistaken as anger or tantrum and the people can't understand because they don't know where it all comes from it's so sudden and, and that happened to me when i was um cats and dog sitting in the summer and didn't realize how much i didn't like the smell of dogs <laughs> it's, just, it's really sad because I, I love animals but i can't stand the smell of them and it was in a very hot house i was constantly like really upset and I can see that with my children as well. You know, this is not just me. So that I felt like the strongest about and what was interesting was that when I got medicated by ADHD, I thought, oh yeah, this is me. I'm gonna go out and check out the school moms. You know, I'm gonna be completely fine with them was so confident. But the social anxiety still stayed. And I was like really confused. So then that led me to realize that, wow, maybe I'm actually more autistic than I am ADHD. You know and it was just so interesting that ADHD was diagnosed first, because you feel the fatigue, you know, as you get into perimenopause.
0: And I had the brain fog, which couldn't explain before. Yeah, I mean, I know, and I've sort of read interesting articles that actually, it's a lot more common than we think for ADHD and autism to go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And we just sort of see ADHD as, as like, one thing, and then autism as another, but actually, they sort of, could belong in the same spectrum and it's like knowing which ones you've got stronger. It's kind of like a scale, isn't it? And like you're turning up the like the base and you're turning down the treble and it's kind of, that's how I kind of feel as well. I mean, what you just described about the sensory stuff, I've always had that with smells and heat and needing, you know, to be comfortable in, in situations and environments and being very particular. I never consider autism, um, but, but I, it's just interesting because I know I have lots of things that I'm very particular about. And I think it's so important that we have these conversations because when, like you say, there's the same stigma that ADHD has had for all these years. Autism has the same stigma of just like, well, we see autism in one way and then we see the extreme versions, but we don't see people who are functioning, you know, day-to-day functioning parents and women being... What we perceive as sort of normal, and we're doing inverted commas, and then we understand how it plays in our life, how they interplay together—the ADHD and the autism. Mm-hmm. What? Now I'm going to ask you on the flip side: What? Where's the ADHD and the autism helps you in your career? Where's it helps you as a person? I know that you've talked about the social anxiety and all the things. Yeah. Let's kind of flip the positive a little bit. Tell me what where that showed up.
1: Yeah. So I think my ADHD showed up more when I was younger. You know and i think being autistic has helped me with um actually surprisingly i had really good memory when i you know was in school so i used that to hack the education system because that that's really what it's about isn't it it's about memorizing things <laughs> you know that you're hardly really doing constructive criticism in, in in primary or secondary school so i i did that and, and i kind of hacked that system but i really worked so hard i had to double triple down and very interestingly I had a mentor in school who believed in me so much that I just kind of changed my whole life around and being ADHD I think you know there's projection sensitive dysphoria but there's also recognition responsive euphoria where you recognize when someone prays you for something that you do well and then it gives you this boost of energy and self-esteem and you want to have more of that and I, I always say that being recognized for what I do is one of my values because it almost drives an ADHD because it helps you think you know oh you're actually pretty good at that for me actually that took me down almost 10 years into cancer research (laughs) you know but later on kind of decided that I don't want to do that anymore Um, so these these are areas where in school autism and ADHD kind of work together to help me get through school that's really interesting but then Mm -hmm. Yeah, in, in the workplace, you know, that has been my ADHD has been more of a challenge because I couldn't really stay for longer than two years. But I think I've always been able to do stuff, you know, under pressure. And I thought that was a, like an advantage for a long time, but that also led to burnout. And I think that's why at the end of two years, I kind of had enough. I just have to take a break and go on a holiday and just quit my job and move on to the next
0: one. So, yeah, there were pros and cons, definitely. I really relate to that. Yeah, that need to, to know that. I think it's w- what you said before was really interesting, the exit strategy of knowing that we've got a way out because we can feel so confined and constricted. And, and I think, you know, when we start recognising, and I think this is really sort of pertinent to what you do within the workplace, is when we recognise our values, are freedom, autonomy, individuality, like, being able to sort of work on our own and being able to work almost to our own time schedule as well. That then gives us the freedom to expand and fulfil our potential. But it's when we are confined and we're told what to do and how to work I think that's the sad thing is that as the ADHD people have got so much to offer, so much to give, and as well as you know, and people with autism. But if we aren't being nurtured in the way that we we should be in a work environment, we it's just you know, and again, it leads to burnout. It leads to depression, and we end up leaving jobs that potentially we we could and should be staying in, or careers or businesses that we just decide, you know what, finished. And that has a massive impact on our self-belief or self-esteem. And and actually, that I love the, the recognition. I know it's Dr. Halliwell that sort of yeah. talks about this because I heard the same talk and I was like, oh, my God, I love it. So it's yeah. recognition. Just remind me, what's the... Yeah, is recognition responsive? Yes. yeah I think this is so important that people know about this because that I see it with my daughter. And the minute I praise her it's like, oh, I can see. And then, and she just thrives off being praised. And it took me a while to believe the praise, but now I know that gives me a boost as well. And thank you for bringing that into the conversation, because that is something that I think if you've got, if you're managing someone with ADHD, or you work with someone with ADHD, or you have a partner or a child, just to have that in mind, if there's nothing else that you can do, just to sort of know that working on strengths-based and praise has a really big impact, doesn't it, for someone with yeah. ADHD?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I like that you said that. that's how you talk to your daughter now because the same thing, you know, happened to me and I totally change how I talk to my daughter and really try and have positive affirmation rather than the other way around where I think ADHD is often getting criticized for what they're not doing right and in fact like I try to correct my husband as well in the way he talks to her because all this contributes to the negative thought patterns right that builds in you over time and in fact she has seven years of us being told completely ADHD without knowing it so now it's like our chance to kind of like rewrite the narrative you know for her and like you say they really respond and they beam when they feel like they're being appreciate it because at the end of the day everyone wants to be appreciated for what they do well or the person that they are and i suppose no one needs that more than someone already with low self-esteem because
0: Mm
1: -hmm. they've been constantly
0: told they're not good enough So I'm just interrupting today's podcast because I want to let you know about a brand new program that I'm be launching towards the end of January 2024 and I've got a sign up page on my website right now. I have to say this is probably one of my most exciting programs so far. This is all about changing the energetics from within and changing our stories, releasing old blocks, old conditioning and creating a new future, visualizing a new way of being. And really letting go of the things that have been holding us back. This is all about our spiritual growth. Leaning into what feels right to us. And not doing all the shoulds and the needs and the comparing. And working on the internal dialogue and the stories and the words that we say to ourselves. But often we find it very difficult to get there. So in this program it's going to be me holding you accountable. Motivating you. Giving you practical but also spiritual and energetic ways of shifting the dials, changing the way we think and the stories that we tell ourselves and the words that we use. It will be probably a 45-minute workshop every two weeks for about three or four months. So I'm going to be sort of hand-holding you, helping you make decisions and choices that feel right and aligned with you. This is stepping into your most truthful, authentic version of you and changing this reality and really leaning into a different way of being now that you have more awareness. I really believe that this is something that I've been working on for for many years and I can't wait to finally share some of the tips and the ways that I have helped change how I show up in the world because it's very different to how it was five years ago. I'm really gonna be creating a community of people who are ready to step out of a mentality that feels like the world has been doing things to them and start taking action and charge from a place that feels good to you. And this is not about doing, this is about being, this is about feeling. So if you really don't align with this sort of action and goal setting and sort of new, new year resolutions this may be a much softer approach for you and really work with our neurodivergent minds. So head to my website. You're going to see on the homepage, a sign-up page. If you just put your name and email address there, I promise you that when this is all live and I've got all the details, you guys are going to be the first people to get it. Now back to today's episode. what do you talk about in your conferences or what's your plan in the conference that's coming up what? to boost and bolster people within the workplace so they can enhance their lives alongside you know and thrive alongside their ADHD?
1: Yeah so the reason I set up the ADHD best practice conference was that I was seeing people putting up conferences and there it is kind of leaders or whoever from at you know, academic or medical institutions talking on our behalf. And then at the same time, I'm hearing the stories of ADHD is getting pushed out of work, and, you know, taking their employers to tribunal, you know, which has increased a lot in the last year, with the awareness of neurodiversity and people unmasking. So then I feel like there has to be a way where someone can bring them together, the two sides together, you know, the the organizations that claim to be Having neurodiverse policies, right, and then the ADHDs we live experience to share best practice best practice approaches through the mouths of the ADHDs themselves. And one of the trigger for this was that I was seeing people who were just talking about autism at work, and. At the time I was like, oh, what about the ADHD You know, there's so much focus on autistic individuals, not knowing that I was actually one of them too at the time. So it's it's interesting. So this conference really, it's a very quick half day conference, which is really going to bring people together and get their opinion on, on what they think, you know, would work for them in the workplace. So ultimately I think the takeaway of this is that people can go to the conference and come back with okay, actually now I can see the bigger story, you know, because one of the elements of the conference is intersectionality. And that is how we are not just ADHD is, we're not just autistic, we're not just dyspraxic, or we don't just have tics. You know? We have a whole you know, tr- multi-dimensional history and culture and you know the person that we are that affects how we are at work you know, And so I think that would just encourage people to even have less of a stigmatizing thought of neurodivergence, because that's one element, right, of who we are, even though it might become who we are. It might be the only thing we think about on some days, but the reality is, even though we are ADHDs, even though we are autistic, we are all different. We might have some similar traits, but all of us have different stories. You know, it might come up differently, like say for a person of color, our ADHD traits might manifest in our body rather than anxiety or, or, or depression, mm. health condition, right? So I think the take home is that I want people to understand that this is going to be something that's going to really help. You know, ADHD is um, really show the other side what is needed. You know, and hopefully with this understanding, it's going to provide more of a change. You know, in in destigmatizing ADHD, I think it's in, in some ways is an advocacy campaign of mine, but in a very kind of roundabout way that yeah.
0: provides value to people. Oh, I'm sure it will. And you know, you know what you mentioned about you know people of color. There are so many different communities out there that are think sort of neurodiverse, but they're also battling other things as well of the stigma. So it's so many different layers for people to to deal with and i think the fact that the more conversations we have about this and and different people's experiences and you know different communities have not i mean i mean i don't know where, where did you grow up where did you have your education i grew up in malaysia in malaysia okay so yes. how you know was adhd and autism ever talked about in the schooling system was, was there ever was there a send department in the school then no, never
1: i think in the asian community neurodiversity don't exist and also mental health issues don't exist we only see the most extreme cases so in some ways parents don't even want to be associated with this label because as far as they're concerned you know you're the most serious case if you get labeled as something like that so it's there's no understanding in fact now you know I've heard some other Asian neurodivergents; they don't tell their family there's no point really discussing this with the the previous generation because they just don't
0: want to understand and that's that's really hard because I think such a big part of having a diagnosis is is actually then having to talk to your family members about it and yeah. people that you you know friends and, and and even your partner I know for myself it's something that you don't just come out and go guess what you know it's people's reactions and I think it's combined with RSD of what are people are going to say, like the fear of judgment and we've got the stigma and it's very real and it's very then we're in you know, 2022 and we're still afraid of people dismissing ADHD and going, oh, what are you talking about? Of course you don't have that. I mean, that's real. The fear of when you get that diagnosis, especially if you're in a community that do- doesn't believe in ADHD, doesn't understand it, sees it in the sort of like the old 1980s kind of way of looking at it. I do feel like it can be very hard for people because they get over the, it's the grief that you just talked about. It's the going through the assessment, the gaslighting yourself. Like, do I really have it? Isn't this just nonsense? Maybe I've just made it all up. Maybe I'm just overreacting. Then you get the diagnosis and it's like, Oh, okay. Right. This is all real. This is all true. I've not imagined it. Now I've got to go and have this conversation with four or five different people. And with the fear that I have to then express, over-explain myself, and it's hard. It's really hard. And I, and I hope that you know these conversations that we're having on the podcast is giving people ammunition and empowering people to know the right things to say and to and to recognize where their ADHD shows up in their life, so they can advocate for themselves, especially at work. I, I mean, I know a lot of people who get the diagnosis, but they're not terrified to go to their boss or their employees and um, colleagues and say actually this is what's going on for me so is I guess what you're doing with ADHD girls and, and the advocacy that you're doing is, is giving people the tools and the language and the narrative to be able to feel a bit more confident to go and have these conversations
1: well exactly you know like I definitely can relate to my finding it hard to communicate you know your what you need for your ADHD you know when you go back to work because you You almost need to decide, do I unmask completely or do I just try and like bring in some of the old coping strategies in order to keep this job that I don't mind doing or I really love? You know, so it's it's, it's really difficult, you know, and I always think it's best to be honest, because if you are not, it's going to find a way to creep up anyway. It's much better to just be aligned. With who you are internally, especially when you spend so long, you know, not knowing that you have ADHD or you know, are an other neurodivergence. So I brought in uh, Professor Amanda Kirby, who does a lot of workplace training, you know, to run this workshop on emphasizing on especially how you communicate this, your, know, your, what you need, and really, you know, it's very strengths-based approach where you really focus on the things that are great about you and remind them, you know, on what is great about you, the reason they hired you. And then, you know, just say that there's these challenges that I have in order to do my best work and talk about what they are. And then the important thing is that you check in as well afterwards, you know, and not just have that one conversation and be done with it. But because your needs might change over time as you know more about the jobs. And so you need to put in a review at a later time. So, yeah, that's been really helpful, actually, it's one of the most
0: popular workshops. Mm, I can imagine, I can imagine. And I think, you know, we, in a 20 years time, 15 years time, I hope that we'll be able to be all open and be able to talk about it at work and be, you know, I think it's important to have a bit of a sense of humour around this as well, and, and kind of like know that it's okay to be lighthearted little bit and be able to have these kind of open conversations where people don't feel uncomfortable and we all know what's going on with each other because this kind of way of being incredibly professional and you don't talk about anything beyond this point i think it's i think it's going and it's disappearing since you definitely was kind of on its way out before the pandemic and now we had this period of time we all worked from home and we had meetings and we saw each other's houses and we saw each other's living rooms and we, you know, we 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 didn't have to kind of suit and boot and, and it all felt like the vulnerability, I think that's what it is, is the vulnerability kind of gave way and we and we were able to all be a little bit more ourselves. I mean, I've seen it with my husband. He runs, you know, he runs a big team of people. And just the way I think things have evolved within his business, it's definitely. I think the vulnerability and the openness and the compassion has led the way since the pandemic. And I think this is just going to translate into neurodiversity in the workplace, because the more we can be open and talk to each other about anything, mental health wise, neurodiversity, we're going to get the best out of each other, aren't we? Like We're going to collaborate better. We're going to connect better
1: exactly yeah it, it definitely also gives you an excuse for why say you can't stand a long meeting or this forum is going to be really difficult for you to fill because these are the things that don't light us up you know even though people insist we do them right so this little get out of jail cards but as long as you know you say just communicate it with humor as well because people ultimately want to work with you because of you right because I think that's how really people do their hiring at times. They really look at the feel, the vibe they get off you, right? To see if, am I going to be able to get on well with this person? You know, and if you do, then, you know, that's easier for you to then
0: ask for what what you need. So tell me a little bit about, like, if someone's listening right now, and, you know, I'm sure there's people working in lots of different industries, how would they get you to come on board? Like, how does it work with bringing you in for advocacy within their own businesses. I'd, I'd love to know more about that. Yeah, so I've got, <laughs> I've been talking to,
1: you know, a lot of organisations and really it's, um I think, people who've been following my work for a while. You know, recently I had a call with someone who booked me for a large in-person talk and And I was really curious where they found me because they didn't say and they were really mysterious. And you know, they came on board and they said, I've been following you for a while now. So I know who you are. And I'm like, do I ask where you know me, you know, but I know it's from social media, it's either LinkedIn or Instagram. I run a lot of polls, right, on Instagram, asking people what they need, you know, so I'm always putting my ear to the ground on what the true community we live experience need. know, I think that might actually separate me a little bit, you know, from other people who might be creating services based on what they think, you know, ADHDs need or neurodivergence need. And so, yeah, I think it's also true my LinkedIn lives that I used to do. You no, know, I don't do them very much anymore. But um, I think it's not just one thing, though. I think it's it's many little things that really, you know, contributed to all this. And in the workshop that I just gave a few weeks ago. I talk about having sponsors and allies, people who are willing to talk about you in the rooms that you are not in yet. And I think one of the reasons why ADHD goals have really you know, elevated so quickly is that I sought people who I thought from afar really admired them and I thought they would never ever give me a chance, but they did. You know? In the end, I had all these people who've been working for 20, 30 years on this topic who once to support me, you know, and they are the people who are going to be talking at my conference that I'm organizing. And yeah, so that has kind of helped, I think, but, but also just building connections, which has taken some time. It's not just me going straight to somebody and say, Hey, you know, would you like to do some work with me? It doesn't work that way. You kind of build friendship and, you know, have an interest in in what people do. And for me, it's all genuine because personally I couldn't like, be bothered to talk to anyone if I don't really like them. (laughs) So yeah, so it's helped that I've made a lot of friends as well this way.
0: And um, yeah, I I don't really have a secret formula. It's kind of like, if you go, you're going to find ADHD women who perhaps don't even know they're ADHD. And they're going to get that like, that epiphany moment of if you go and speak in their workplace, and you know, they've not had the opportunity to read any Instagram blogs or, you know, kind of even know about ADHD, and you're all of a sudden just piecing things together for them while they're, you know, been working in that industry forever. So I think it's just so important that the more we can talk about this and you can get the advocacy out there and, and know that there is the resources and the support for women to connect and women to kind of meet like-minded um, you know, other women who can help them and support them. And I love the idea that you've got the the WhatsApp group because I just think that, like you said, you know, if you haven't got the lived experience, even though you could have all the education and all the, you know, the letters after your name, I think so often just someone else understanding and relating uh, to what you've you've gone through and going through is is a huge help. I'm excited to see where ADHD girls is going to go. So if people want to get in touch with you or want to sign up for your newsletter or anything or even go because I know you have quite a lot of events coming up where's the best yeah. place for them to to head to? Yeah, so everything is on my Instagram
1: link tree and I post that on Twitter as well even though I'm a bit quieter on Twitter and you can always add me on LinkedIn um, I post both Instagram and LinkedIn on a weekly basis. I have my email in my Instagram. So if you just click through, you'll, you'll be able to email me directly. So I'm very accessible. It's too easy to find, in fact. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I if you Google me, you will find like really kind of posy photos because I do
0: commercial modeling as well, um, though I do it less and less now. I love that. How ADHD is that? You've got a PhD in you know cancer research, and just on the side, you do a bit, a little bit of modeling. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really random. I've also been a source
1: of identity crisis for ten years.
0: You know, at least I know why now. Right? <laughs> it's. I think let's embrace it because, you know, I think variety is the spice of life, and when we can mix and match, and who says that someone with a PhD shouldn't be a model? I mean, I think just let's just do what you know lights us up, and I think. Just before we finish that element of us where we where perhaps we thought it was wrong like what what am i doing doing this because i should be doing that i should be in that box but actually i want to be in that box that box and that box and we would then feel badly about that or sh- ashamed that we are not kind of conforming to what other people are doing and actually it's okay to have a bit of variety and it's okay to want to try new things and to move on and to just kind of like exhaust one subject. We've, we've kind of, you know, done the hyper-focus on that and then find something else because, you know, for me on a more philosophical level, life is for living. You know, we only get one, one crack at it in this lifetime. So let's just kind of embrace what interests us, embrace our strengths and, kind of, it's very easy to focus on the weaknesses. It's very easy to kind of keep ourselves stuck in that negative thought loop. But when we start moving towards the strengths, moving towards our interests, and just having a little bit more fun in those different areas, that's when I think we thrive with ADHD. That's when I see people thriving, when they kind of access those things that just light them up. And I know it's not that, you know, professional, but if you are doing whatever that is, whatever lights you, whatever kind of gives you that buzz that gets you up in the morning, then just keep doing, just keep reaching for that next, next thing that lights you up. And whatever that, that is, you're going to be successful in it it's because that's when I see ADHD is kind of really reap the rewards of, of their neurodiversity.
1: That's right, yeah, and like you say, we are very much interest-based, right? And if it's not something we like to do, we can't convince ourselves, you know, no matter how hard we try. So it's, it's best to just, you know, find all the great things that you love about you and maybe one day bring them together like you have, right? Put together yeah. everything great about yourself. You, know, and you put that all together into, you know, Kate more Yourself Coaching and your podcast <laughs> and all your lifestyle, you know, well-being
0: stuff. It's really great to watch. Thank you. Oh, well, Sam, it's been an absolute pleasure. I really appreciate everything that you're doing and all the advocacy because I know that a lot of... Um, A lot of women a lot of well lots of different people are going to really benefit from from what you're doing so thank you so much and hopefully we'll we'll chat again soon
1: thank you so much for having me
0: kate really lovely to meet you today so that's today's episode done did what we talk about resonate with you i really hope you found some takeaways that may inspire you to make some small changes that enhance your daily life And if you did find this episode insightful, please do consider sharing it. Knowledge and awareness is power, especially with ADHD. You can also head over to the show's Instagram page, which is ADHD Women's Wellbeing Pod, and join the community that's waiting for you there. And if this episode really did strike a chord, please do consider leaving us a review to enable more people who need to hear these conversations find the show. Thanks so much for joining me today and see you next time.